In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles He had chosen. After His suffering, He presented Himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that He was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while He was eating with them, He gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift My Father promised, which you have heard Me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's pray together. Lord, we believe that Indeed, you rose from the dead and were taken up into heaven while the disciples stood there and watched with amazement. And we believe, Lord, that the message that the angel and the command that the angel gave to them, the encouragement, the promise, will indeed come true. And Lord, we believe that, like the apostles, our job is also to go into all the world and be your witnesses. God, as we begin this journey through this book, as we begin to to look into the lives of these men and women who were empowered by your Holy Spirit, men and women who you did amazing things through to change this world, Lord, may we be inspired and may we be encouraged. And may we be spurred forward, Lord, toward whatever it is that you have for us. God, as Pastor Mike comes today to spread the message and to, to share your words, Lord, our prayer would be that he would do so mightily with boldness. Because he's filled with your Holy Spirit. Lord, may we be people who have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ is risen. risen Indeed, he has. You know, one of the great Christian authors years ago, I can't recall which one of them, but they all probably agree on this, is that every Sunday is supposed to be a little Easter celebration, a celebration again of the resurrection. So I'm glad that you've come today to celebrate with us uh, the risen Christ. I have to tell you, I've heard that story that Pastor Keith told just a moment ago. I've heard that three times when he told me in my office in the two services this morning. And both times, both times that Keith related that story, you know, kind of like I have tears welling up in my eyes because, I mean, how cool is that that for a buck seventy-four, a dollar and seventy-four cents, we have the opportunity of reaching out to a student uh, or someone or any one of your friends that doesn't know the good news, that has never met Jesus, and they have the opportunity because of a dollar seventy-four of meeting them through those pages. So take those Bibles seriously. It's a great gift. And it's one of the many small and important ways that we can reach into the corners of the world uh, in which we're set to serve. So God bless you, and I'm glad we're doing that. 
Um, as we go towards our, um, my talk this morning, I want to remind you, of course, what Keith said uh, and Vicki said about coming to this afternoon's meeting. It's important. That is a, uh, a kitchen table kind of meeting. You know, we have charge conferences. They're kind of like the family reunions, and we vote on stuff. But at the kitchen table, just like at your house, we talk about stuff. We, 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 we give some giving back and forth and, and some conversations, so we hope you'll come. Now, we do have a couple of special guests with us this morning, uh, the Reverend Dr. Tony Nestor and his wife, Evelyn, who produced, of course, this wonderful son, are here. Stand up, Tony and Evelyn. We want to greet you. We're glad you're here. I know Tony is the, the pastor, senior pastor at Sioux City Grace Church. Apparently, somebody's there today, right? They're not, they're not beaming this in, are they? Okay, all right. I'd have to clean it up. Um, Tony's had a fantastic ministry, and I know that uh, along with Evelyn, one of their best ministries is producing your associate pastor. Amen? Amen. That's good work right there. That's our guy. Now, it's tradition in the church that when uh, an elder is present with you, you're supposed to offer him the pulpit, so you want to take a crack at it today, Brother Tony? (laughs) That's not even a laugh like he's even considering it, so here we go. All right, luckily I've got some notes. We'll go with that. So your sermon today is like this. You know, <clears throat> understanding, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really work on uh, the English language today, okay? So understanding what was, you know, what's happening in the past, is often important to understanding our is, what's going on right now, and pointing us to what our is to be, what the future is for all of us individually and corporately. Let me tell you how this goes. So I'm flicking around the channels this week, hoping probably to find a ball game or something like this, and my just for a minute, the clicker landed on this reality TV show, and I don't know what it was, and I frankly, after I tell you this story, don't want to know what it was. Because there's this guy, you know, and he's like, He's, he just, if he's out of high school, I'd be surprised. But he's standing there, and he's obviously kind of the leader of the show. And there's this other guy that's like 30, okay? And they're standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon. You have that image in your mind now? How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? Okay, good. A lot of you have seen it in pictures too, so you know what I'm talking about. And this young guy is saying, this is the Grand Canyon, and it was made over millions of years by the power of water. And the, and the 30-year-old guy says... Are you serious? And he says, yeah, that's how we're... This isn't man-made? And the, this high school kid or whatever he is is just looking at him like, what? And so he went into this brief lesson on geology. You know, no, it's rock and water and there's different levels. And he showed him how the Grand Canyon was made. But, but you see, this guy had no idea what he was standing in front. So the young man had to show him what was so he could help understanding what he is, what, what, what he's looking at right now. And while that surprises us, we have, you know, plenty of instance in our own lives where we need to know, you know, when, when our reference to what was helps us understand what is and what can be. I, you, you, many of you might know, but uh, others not. But when I moved to Marion eight years ago, before we moved, we bought our house. And we were zipping over here on uh, on Sunday afternoons after church and staying to Monday to paint my daughter's rooms and get stuff ready so we could move in. And one time, I can't remember what the supply was, but my wife told me it was at Michael's. We needed to go to Michael's and pick up this thing. And so I said to my father, who, of course, had lived here since 1965, I said, Dad, 
where is Michael's? I need to go to Michael's. And he said, well, it's easy. It's just kind of like diagonally over from Best Buy. Now, I hadn't lived here since 1977 or so, so I said, I do not know where Best Buy is. He says, it's really near the corner of 100 and 1st Avenue. I'm like, I do not know what 100 is, Dad. I have not lived here since 19... He says, so then he looks at me and he says, go to the drive-in. The drive-in movie, I knew where that was. Because that's where Michael's is today, right? So I drove to the drive-in theater. I was like, whoa, they built a Michael's store here, but the drive-in is long gone. But my was did inform my is. So it helped me get to where I, I needed to be. Now, our was always informs our is in some way or another, and it shapes our is to be. You're going to like this, Jesse. You're going to like this too, Connor. i got to tell you guys a story. It goes like this, okay? There's this little guy. His name's Tim. He's about eight years old. And he's playing ball out in the front yard, and the ball rolls into the street. And he runs out there, gets hit by a truck, breaks both his legs. Now, you're going to like this story when I get to the end of it. But breaks, <clears throat> breaks both his legs, right? So he's in the hospital for six weeks. And while he's getting ready to, to, to leave, the, the, the nurse is sitting there, you know, telling him how to care for his legs and stuff. And finally she says, now, Tim, when you're playing ball in the front, front yard and, and it rolls out in the street, what have you learned? He said, I'll send my sister. Okay? <laughs> right? So, I mean, that's how it is. It's, it's our, our was informs our is and shapes how it is to be. Our was is that he has hung on a tree. He has been beaten. He has been scorned and scourged. He's been tried at this sham trial, and he's been hung and humiliated on a tree right outside the gate of the city of Jerusalem. The ministry is shaded over. The clouds have come over this new Christian, this new movement that's happening. That is what was. But in the morning... The stone is rolled away. There's no one in the tomb. Christ is risen. Indeed he has. And that's the is. The disciples knew what was. Things were bad. Nothing could get worse than that. But here they're living in a brand new is. Jesus is up and out of the grave. He's living among them. And he begins to teach them. So when we look at what was for the disciples, it shapes what is going to happen for them. And it points them as to what's going to be. Now briefly, we have half lecture, half sermon today. And one joke. So that's been spent, all right? That bullet's been fired. So, so let me tell you a little bit about First United Methodist Church Congregation, if you're joining us today, but I also want to review for those of us that have been here. This is our was. About a, two years ago, we as a congregation took a year and a half journey through the Gospel of Luke. We learned what the story of Christ was from before he was born, through when he was born, through his ministry, his healing, his life, his death, his resurrection, and even to the moment of his ascension. We wanted our minds and our hearts to get fully and completely wrapped around the gospel story of Jesus Christ. And then we went into Ephesians for a handful of, of weeks, and we, we talked and listened to how Ephesians tells us of the grace of God and how much God loves us and how he's pouring down resource upon us every single day. And then we 
during Advent, remember we gave everybody a candle? You all had a candle and you could hold it for four weeks. And at the end of every service, we had you come forward and light that candle and take it right out through those center aisles. And we said, light your candle. He's coming over, which is our way of saying, you know, you know who Jesus is. You know that he's about love. And now he's coming to set up a camp in your heart. And he's coming to be in your, in your life if only you'll welcome him in. And then after we made that invitation, Pastor Keith and I have spent the last three months sharing with you what Christians believe, digging into the Apostles' Creed. That is what our was. That's our was. And now our is is this moment when we turn to Acts. Now our is to be is what a Christian should be. So let me tell you about how we're approaching Acts here. Keith has has told you that we're approaching Acts through the ministers, the message, the mission, and the method. And we're going to look at Peter, Paul, um, Stephen, Philip, and then later on uh, Silas, Barnabas, Timothy. And we're going to look at, at first these ministers, one at a time. We're going to go through them one at a time. So you're going to be in Peter for the next four weeks. So fall in love with Peter and read some stuff about Peter. And we're going to find out about this minister and the other ministers, about how these ministers were forefathers of our faith and what they actually had to do, what, what happened, how the Holy Spirit worked in their life. And then we're going to talk about their message and how each one of them pushes forth some timely truths which made a difference to the world in which they were preaching and also some timeless truths that passed by who they were looking at to the people like us that might come and encounter their stories later on. Then we're going to talk about their missions, about what their ministries that were fueled and powered by the Holy Spirit actually accomplished for the specific purposes of God during their lives and what it pointed to into the future. And then, of course, we're going to take a look at each one is their method. How was their influence, how how there was, which is, of course, their encounters with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, influence there is, what they were doing, and of course pointed to what there is to be is. So let's go through a brief primer on Acts. First, let's talk about what Acts is all about. Acts is about the inevitable work of, the, of God to spread the gospel to Christ to every corner of the world. It was going to go to the corners of the world. This was God's plan, that the gospel is going to be spread out. And it goes out through some very and most interesting way, some through the ministers that we talk to, some through men and women whose names we shall never know, but their memory be blessed because of what they have done for us. Then we're going to talk about how Acts gives an accurate account of the birth and growth of the Christian church. This is a start of a new thing. This is not an extension of Judaism. This is not just another sect within that. Christianity is a, is a new world religion, and we're going to talk about how it births, which is in the moment uh, that's coming next week, and then uh, we're going to talk about how it's growth. And then in Acts, we're going to encounter some new words. We're going to encounter the word Christians that was never said before the book of Acts. Because, you know, Acts is this bridge between the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and through the, to the epistles, you know, that start with 1 Corinthians and through the end of the, of, of the New Testament. And Acts... Uh, coins these two words that are going to be important to us because we're them. Christians is mentioned, and then uh, later the word Christian in reference to all of us. Now, before he puts a slide up, who wrote Acts? Who wrote Acts? Luke. All right, now put the rest of it up. Okay, Luke 
is a man of science. He's a traveling companion of Paul. He, he's someone, he, he's uh, someone that really puts the, the words in order. I forgot my next point. You've got to put it up there. There you go. Oh, there he is. There you go. Thank you. I knew that one. Okay. He's the author of Luke and Acts. He, he wrote two books. And here's the thing. Paul wrote about 13 books in the New Testament. So we tend to think Paul is the most prolific writer. But by mass... The, the author of Luke Acts, Luke and Acts, which is Luke, wrote a quarter of the New Testament. A quarter of the entire New Testament, which is, of course, a, a great deal of it. Okay, now, Acts, then, is a sequel to Luke. Luke starts first. Luke tells the story of Jesus' life. And then Acts is tied together uh, with it because it picks up where Luke ends and, and it moves on. Now, this is distinct from what any other gospel writer does. Because in John, in Mark, in Matthew, we see the writers writing in a third-person kind of uh, formula. But in the Luke-Acts version, at a certain point, I think it's chapter 16, verse 10, Luke steps into the story. And rather than recording what's going on anymore, he says things like, and then I did this, and then we did this. So, I mean, Acts, Luke, the author, actually involves himself in the story because he was really there. He was a partner, a, a companion of Paul. And because Acts ends so abruptly, this is one of the most interesting stories as you read Acts. If you're reading it, you get to chapter 28, and it just stops. It just stops. I mean, there's a period on it and everything like that. But it just stops. And it's like, um, it's as if, you guys that are into this, it, it, it's like it was going to be a trilogy, you know, that Luke was the prequel, and then Acts is the what's going on, and then that, that this, this, this last one was going to be written. <clears throat> but, but it never was. Now, Acts then points to us and shares with us what it, our is to be is like. Tells us what happens, tells us what is, but it also points as to what is our is to be is. Now, every single one of us has life guides and mentors. We do. Some of them good, some of them bad, but all of us have life guides and mentors. I've even actually had conversations with some of you about your life guides and mentors. I have many, but I want to share with you just a couple. Years and years ago, some of you remember him if you were here in the 70s, there was a pastor here named uh, uh, Reverend Dr. Glenn Lamb. He was a mentor. He was the lovable pastor. He's not like me. He was so, I mean, he just... When you were with Dr. Lamb, he was a fairly diminutive guy, but he just loved you always. I swear to you, if I'd have stood you know, up here and shot fireworks and aimed them at the Moses window up there, if I'd have hit him, he said, man, you're a good aim with those. I mean, you know, he just you know, shepherded you and loved you and always you know, caring for you, and he gave me the opportunity to preach the first time. In the He's just one of those guys. He was always loving you, always guiding you forward, always trying to help you see God's love in the world and how we might want to reach to other people with it. Now, that's one of my guides. I also have what I would say a fairly different kind of mentor in my life. Anyone that knows anything about Iowa Wesleyan College within a certain epoch of time has heard the name Dr. George Lamore. Some of you run into Dr. Lamore at times. Dr. Lamore was absolutely powerful and unyielding. He was absolutely directing as a mentor. I can remember, I, I can't remember what the assignment was, but I do remember writing this paper because I put myself into it. You know, I typed this paper and the assignment was two-page 
Two-page type paper. Now, we didn't have font changing the way you guys have. You know, we didn't have the computers. I could have made it a nine-point font and shoved it all into two pages. But I just had the old 12-point font courier, whatever the typewriter had, you know. You guys ever heard of typewriters? They're like a keyboard except louder, all right, and messier. So I I typed this page, and my last two sentences spilled onto the third page. It was a two-page paper. I thought, man, this is great. I got this thing sealed up. I handed it in. Lamore sends this paper back to me, and he's torn off the third page and thrown it away. And down at the paper, bottom, he says, great paper, tragic, abrupt ending. <laughs> this was a two-page paper. What did you not understand about that, son? I mean, he's serious about that. So, you know, I have these mentors and guides in my life just like you have to, and the, these two and others have shaped my was and, and, and made you know, part of what my is is all about, and their influence cannot be wasted. You see, their purpose and hope in spending any time at all with, with Mike Morgan was that my is to be would have something to do and be useful for the building of the kingdom of God. Now, Acts, the book of Acts, that we're going to spend all this time on over the next few months, is intimately and ultimately concerned with our is to be. We cannot let its influence be wasted. We cannot let all this time simply go by us at all. So let's take a look at who Acts is written to. Who is Acts written to? In chapter 1, verse 1, it says, my dear Theophilus. So who is this Theophilus? Well, there's a lot of talk about this Theophilus. Theophilus is a proper name like Jim, Bob, Bill, Carol, Connie, whatever. It's just a common name, but this is what it means. It means in that time, one who loves God or a friend of God, or anyone that loves God. And the name is mentioned twice, at the beginning of Luke and the beginning of Acts. And so there's a lot of great mystery about who this Theophilus is. And so I'm going to take it this way. When the Scripture says, my dear Theophilus, we say, my dear, insert your name here. This thing is written to you. This is written about the Lord, to you, and for the building of the kingdom of God. We are the target audience of the book of Acts and, of course, the entire uh, scriptures. Our answer to Luke is in our is and, of course, in our is to be. Now, the same goes for the disciples. If you read that First, that scripture that Keith read to us a minute ago, Acts chapter 1, verse 10, there is one of the most obvious sentences in scriptures and one of the most interesting internal responses that we don't get. These two angels walk up on the disciples who are gazing up into heaven on account of they've just seen Jesus raised into heaven. Now, it's an interesting day, you have to admit this, when the third most interesting thing that happens to you is that you talk to two angels. Right? I mean, you've got a day going on when that happens. Right? So here's these two angels. They walk up to, to, to the disciples who are staring into heaven and they say, Why are you standing there staring into heaven? Now, luckily for us, the gospel does not record internal reactions. Because you can imagine Peter, can't you? 
Why am I staring in heaven? You mean, aside from the fact that our leader was killed, went into a tomb, rose for 40 days, hung out with us for 40 days, and taught us, and then just went straight up into heaven, aside from that, why are we staring here? Right? Can you, why are we staring? Well, that would be the reason. But the point is, for the disciples, that's what was. That's what was. Now you're in the middle of what is. Now what are you going to do about that? What are you going to go do about what is? The point is to go and do what the church is going to do. And we ask ourselves, what is the church to do? Well, I tell you this for sure. It's not to stand and stare at what's happened. You know, we could all go out here at the end of the, uh, of the service and stand out in the middle of 8th Avenue, generally ticking off the Presbyterians and other bystanders, but we could stand out there and we could stare at that steeple, that beautiful steeple, that great majestic steeple. We could just stand there and stare at it, and in our minds, we could just rejoice at the great things that God has done here about this magnificent edifice that that's a part of and about the vision of whoever it was, whenever it was, that they decided to get together and build this. And we could just stand there and stare and say, wow, that's awesome. Of course, the police would come by and say, man, uh, First United Methodist Church, what are you standing and staring at? But, but we could stand and do that. Or we could stand and stare at, at, at the fact that... <clears throat> You know, every Monday through Friday during the school, during the summer, we feed over 500 lunches to children that, and, and youth that don't have enough money, that don't get free and reduced uh, price lunches during the summer because their families can't afford them. We could stand and stare at that and say, wow, how awesome is that? We could just say, wow, that is quite an accomplishment. We could stand and stare at that ministry. Or we could stand and stare at the fact that outside of our church, you know, the biggest Sunday school program is called Text Time that's run by Marion Cares that many of you volunteer of, that we go to, uh, funeral, or to uh, uh, mobile home courts and apartment buildings and we teach kids about Jesus. We could stand and stare and say, wow, what a great outreach to the community is. Or we could stand and stare, <clears throat> excuse me, at memories of, of being in here when there was a wedding or a funeral. Or even just the memory of last week when we sang, Christ the Lord is risen today. We could as a church just stand and stare. But we have to answer the question then. Men and women of First United Methodist Church, why are you standing there staring? Vicki and Keith and I and the rest of our staff have over the last year or so, really felt a simple, truthful reality that's going on at First United Methodist Church. I, I don't know any other way to, to relate to it other than just to simply say this, that over the last handful of months, we've really felt this kind of bubbling, this churning among, underneath the, the surface of who we are as a church, this, this powerful, potent, what it feels like, move of the Holy Spirit. Not to go out and build buildings. That's important. That's going to be one of the things that we have to do. But, but that the, this powerful churning of the Spirit that's calling us to this magnificent, this, this ministry beyond where we is right now. I, <clears throat> and I don't know how to explain it other than how I think it might happen. You know, because, you know, when you think about bubbles, you know how bubbles spread? Everybody's watched well, any sitcom that's ever been made, including I Love Lucy to whatever ones are out there, somewhere in the course of writing the sitcom, they've had to include the bubble episode. 
you know, where somebody leaves the tub running and the bubbles come out, or somebody puts too much, you know, so, uh, washing machine stuff and it flows out. Well, see, that's how a church spreads. That, that's how a church grows. That's how the Holy Spirit draws out, is that it just bubbles out. It just kind of spreads out. And it, that's how the church in Acts grew. It started in Jerusalem, and, and someone added too much spirit to it. You know, the Lord added too much spirit to it, and then it started bubbling out. It started spreading out to every corner of the Mediterranean. It started to go over here to Ephesus and over there to Galatia and over here to Colossae and all these places. And, and, and the Holy Spirit is bubbling under the surface at First United Methodist Church and, and, and teaching us that we have to spread out, that we just have to reach into the corner of the world that we're bubbling closest to. Well, yesterday we had a speaker at United Methodist Men, and I won't do him the disservice of... Un- redoing his whole talk, but I hope you come to the next one. But this guy is a veterinarian over in Anamosa. And God lined up a bunch of details for him and gave him the allowance with, with a, a national pharmaceutical company, international pharmaceutical company, to go over to Africa and help a bunch of Kenyans inoculate over 12,000 dogs with a rabies vaccine, which is like a really big deal. They, they inoculated dogs, cats, and I think donkeys. And the reason that he did that is because God pointed him to that corner of the earth. That is what he saw. I have never had any inclination or interest to go into Kenya and start inoculating dogs or cats or anything else for rabies. That's not what I see. That's not what I'm called to. But the fact of the matter was it was something he could do, and he understood that he could bubble up that which was bubbling out of his church. He happens to be a Lutheran was drawing him to do something big for God at this particular time in the earth, his life. And so he bubbled out, and he went there. Now, there's probably only about five of us that can answer this question correctly. You'll get pretty close. But do you know what the United Methodist Church's mission statement is? I mean, can you rattle it off your, your hearts? The Methodist mission statement for the United Methodist Church across the world is this. To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's our mission statement. Now, to do that, we have to see big. The Lord saw big. He saw the whole world. That's why he sent preachers like Peter and Paul out to transform it. We need to see big, too. We need to see how the world is broken. We need to see how morality, not just morality, but Christian morality, is, is, is being crippled in our country today. We need to look across the lake and see how Christians are being persecuted, and not just in, in prison, but also killed because they believe in the gospel. We need to see how the gospel needs us in every corner of the earth. We need to see that big picture, but we also need to see small. You know, a doctor told me he could go out and vaccinate 12,000 dogs in one village in Kenya, and it changed the life of that village. I went home the other night at 7.45 after some powerhouse stuff, and I pulled into my driveway. You know, it was a nice spring day before all these rains came, and I looked around my neighborhood, and I said, huh, people were doing the things of a spring day, mowing their grass. Kids were riding their bikes up and down the street playing basketball, and I thought, huh, it's church night. I've got to reach my neighborhood. I can see that. I know those kids' names. They do U-turns in my driveway. How about you? I mean, that's my was, influencing my is, so we can point to the is to be. You have those small places that you can see, too. 
the places where you go every day. And we're going to find in Acts that the Holy Spirit's going to empower the church to bubble over. Actually, in some cases, whether the church wants to go or not. But often because the church is willing to go. The Holy Spirit bubbles up and out of these places with the work of transforming the world with the gospel of Christ. The transformation is the work of the Spirit. Transformation of the world is the work of the Holy Spirit. We have to follow that Spirit, though, and work in our corner. That's where we're going to go with Acts. We're going to look at Acts, the message, the the ministers, the method, and the mission, and we're going to walk through some of those great leaders of the faith. But, and I will say and probably, it will be important for us to learn. It's important for us to understand. And it's more important for us even than that to take what we learn and apply it in our current is, so God's is to be, might come to life right here, right now. Let's pray. Oh God, you give us such great opportunities. You engage us. You engage us and you empower us. You strengthen us and you actually put in front of us every single day people to whom which Uh, the gospel can just bubble out of us. So strengthen us and empower us, Lord, because of what we love so much. You know, we love you, Lord. Our lives are because of you. And if we just are aware, if we just listen, if we just allow what has shaped us to be what we are right now, the is to be in so many lives can be transformed because you allow us to act and speak and love on your behalf. Lord, guide your church, guide her individuals, guide each one of us specifically into your future as preferred. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.